0: Hi, my name is Bristow, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad that you're here today. Today, um, the, the sermon title is, is uh, uh, Risk is Greater Than Security. And uh, it just makes me happy that um, as I'm coming back into the culture after, you know, uh, over a decade being gone, that I can see that Americans are still risking on American Idol, anyway, on American Idol, American Idol is in its seventeenth year, and uh, and it's still going. It's still on TV. I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, the thing that I missed was um, the bad contestants that w- that you know the guys that should never have been allowed on that show, you know, to come on. And then remember that British guy. You know, he had the black hair and he had the, the white V-neck T-shirt you know, and he would just, he would just utterly shame these guys. I miss that. I, I got to say, I, uh, uh, those, those contestants, you know, they just brought vulnerability, um, and, uh, um, emotional exposure and shame, not to mention really bad singing to a whole nother level. Boy, do I, I just miss that. I think that, I think that he's at another show now anyway, but, uh, that has absolutely nothing to do with the, the sermon this morning. Uh, I, just, I just had to, to, to say that. Um, we, uh, <laughs> but we <laughs> but we're, we're talking about shame and security this morning, um, and that shame is, is greater than security. And so what we have to do first is kind of establish what that is, what those things are. Um, risk really has to do with the possibility of loss really the, the vulnerability of, of loss. Giving up some control so that you can get more um, at the end, at the end of the day. Um, and to use, to use a sports analogy, it's really um, playing to win. Risking is playing to win. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's how, you, how you score points in a game and, and as people we can't flourish and grow as individuals like we're meant to do with, without um, risk, it's, it's just how it works. Um, security on the other hand is different. It's, security really is about um, um, no possibility of, of loss. Really, no vulnerability uh, to loss. It's kind of holding on to control in order to keep, in order to keep that something that you've got. You know, so 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 really, again, the sports analogy. It's really playing defense. It's it's really playing not to lose. And and flourishing and growing as people. And kind of living in an expansive life can't happen when when security is 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 your focus. And I think that um, you know it's human nature to want security, but but it breaks down right here. That that security that you're after is a false security. We're going after a false security. Jesus is the only true security. That's the, that's the only place that, that we can go and and, and get what, what we're really after. Really, I think our yearning and and our 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 longing is for heaven itself. When all of that will be complete, when all of that flourishing and and growing comes to completion. That's really what we're we're, um, desiring. And so um, um, I want to pray. I want to stop. And I just want to pray right now that that, um, God would sort of download for each one of you what he wants to say about risk and security in your lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for gathering us we don't do anything on our own. And you've even gathered us this morning. There's, there's no um, mistake here. Everyone was brought here today. And Lord, you have your finger on something. Would you, would you just leave your finger on that issue in each one of our hearts uh, regarding risk and security today? And would you, your power be on this message in Jesus' name? Um, I want to tell a story uh, about risk and security in, in my own life. And then I want to go to a really familiar passage in Scripture in Matthew about Jesus walking on the water and Peter walking on the water. <clears throat> and then I want to end up with uh, uh, how we actually do this. And so that's kind of where we're, we're going. I want to tell a story. And it's not, the most, it was not, it's not about the most important choice I ever made. It was, actually, it wasn't even that big a deal. But you know what? Sometimes the small choices that we make are the most consequential. And that's why we have to be so careful about how we live our lives because, because the little choices sometimes can open up our lives like, uh, uh, like you can't believe. And, and we just we're already in that inertia of making those choices when we somehow make bigger choices. And that's kind of how this is this story is for me. So so here I am, I'm living the life in Fort Collins, Colorado. It's 2002, and uh, I'm just feeling really secure. I love being here. Um, um, I was secure in my career. I was an educator with Pudu School District, and I loved every minute of it because I got to spend, you know, every day with kids. It was just so fun. And I just felt secure, and I just liked it. And and I also felt really secure in my relationship with the church. I served the church many hours a week and I loved every minute of it. And uh, um, I was really secure in my relationship with God. I just enjoyed experiencing his mercy in my life every day. And, and, and seeing his mercy in the lives of, of um, the believers, was just, it was just a joy. I just loved every minute of it. And um, um, I loved being a Colorado guy. You know, I'd, I'd moved about three, three years before and I just, I just loved being here, you know. The first thing I did is go out and buy some really expensive skis and expensive bindings and a ski rack, you know. And, and my skis plus my my car rack was more expensive than the car itself. And I just kind of thought, oh, that's a Colorado thing, you know, you just get up in the mountains, you know, I belong, you know. <laughs> and, and I don't know how to describe it, but I, I started to kind of pull into my, my Colorado life. You know, I, I, not good language for it really, but I, I, kind of, I kind of pulled in into my security living here. <clears throat> and as time went on, I noticed that I stopped doing things I used to do, like um, inviting people from work to church. I kind of stopped doing that, you know. I kind of stopped talking about God at work with my colleagues. Um, I kind of wasn't that happy with where God had me, but he had me here, you know. It's so weird. I was less and less satisfied um, in God somehow. You might say it this way. The music in my life stopped playing. And when the music in my life stopped playing, I stopped kicking up my heels and dancing. I was merely marching. I was merely a soldier marching through life you ever ever experienced that um and you know why it was now all about security and holding on to that security and kind of cordoning myself off f- f- from risk i just i'm just here and, and i'm good you know i was living the american dream I was living the Colorado dream and, 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 you know, you know what needed to happen in my life? I needed to hear the music again. And the only way that you can hear the music again is start, is to start risking like you used to do. Remember that? So when my summer job kind of fell through that I, I, I had every summer, you know, I knew God was up to something. It was his mercy. I knew that he knew that I wasn't hearing the music. And so, so, so the church came to me and said, hey, how about you, you go to Jordan for the summer? They didn't know that my job had fallen through. I don't know how, I don't even know why they asked me, <laughs> but they said, "Hey, why don't you go over to Jordan and be a vineyard guy over there, just for the summer, and just support the Arab Church?" And I knew immediately. Oh yeah, oh absolutely. You know, where is Jordan again? You know, yet <laughs> I literally got in my car and drove down to Barnes and Noble to the travel section to find out what language they spoke. You know, I'm, ah, I'm perfect. The perfect choice for a perfect candidate, right? And um, <laughs> and so and so you know. I'm already, and this was just before school ended, so, so I'm busy kind of like, you know, getting my exams done and grading my exams and getting my, getting my grades all in order, you know, because I'm not the most um, organized guy in the universe. And I'm trying to do that, you know, and I'm thinking about going to Jordan. And, and, and in all the hubbub, because I was leaving like in two days, two days after school. ended. So in the, all, all the hubbub, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I was just kind of all jumbled and, you know, I got my bags packed and my my buddy Brian. You know, we, we went down to the to, to DIA. I got my stuff, you know, and and uh, we get there really early, and uh, way early. And um and you know i I got everything and I'm nervous and you know and uh, do you have my ticket? He said, Dude, I'm just driving you. I you know I, just, <laughs> I can't find my ticket. And in 2002, that was a big deal because international flights back then you had to have a paper ticket. They didn't have it all coordinated yet, right? So. So uh, so the ticket agent said, well, you know what? Why don't you go, go back home? You got plenty of time. Go back home and, you know, look for it or something. You know, and, and it's not so long ago. I can't remember if we drove back to Fort Collins, if we called someone to go in the apartment and look or what. But, you know, I, you know, was trying to get my act together somehow. And, and you know, by that time, the, the, the flight had already left. <clears throat> now, this is the deal. I had to get to Jordan like that I had to be on that flight because my contact person was only gonna be there one day and then he was gone. And if I didn't get introduced to everybody by him, I mean, I might as well not go. I, I, how, I, how am I gonna know where to you know, be or, I've never been there before. I you know, barely know where it is. I don't know a soul there. So I had to get on that flight, flight's gone. And so, uh, and we can't find my ticket either. So, you know, no problem. Let me just talk to the ticket agent, you know. So I go up there and I, I give her my sob story, you know, and, and, uh, and I, I'm getting no love. I mean, there's no love coming across the counter, you know. You got to have the paper ticket. Yeah, but you know what? And my temperature's kind of rising. You know, with all due respect, you know, any half-witted person can look at the computer and see my name in there. I paid for that thing, it, you know. And um, no love, just nothing, right? So, it's, so, it's, so it's, it, it's, it's slowly dawning on me and then, and then it does more than dawn on me It hits me, it's like getting punched in my sternum I, I, I'm kind of like knocked back a couple of steps As I realize all of the planning and, and the whole thing um, Is evaporating before my very eyes I'm not going to Jordan This is not happening it was like there's this wrestling match of risk and security going on in my soul for my future. Because I had the sense that my future hinged on getting to Jordan somehow. And so it's, I, I have one of those, you know, those fuzzy, slow motion experience. And then I go, I got to step into this. I have got to step into this. So I literally, I literally take two steps forward to the counter, you know, and, I'm, and, and now I'm all intense. Like, lady, I mean, ticket agent lady. Listen, I am going to Amon Jordan like today, like right now, how can you help me, you know? And then I uh, grab her computer. And I bow my head, and I start speaking in tongues to myself. Now, now, this lady in her job has seen a lot of whack jobs before, but not one quite as wacky as this one who's, you know, got this death grip on her computer and is babbling to himself with his eyes shut and his head down. So, so um, the anxiety and kind of fear that I've transmitted to this poor ticket agent <clears throat> is now within her and the airport is the terminal is uh is empty because there's no flights going out but there's 10, 10 ticket agents down the line you know with their computers just standing there so she takes all the anxiety and uh, dysfunction that she's just received from me and she looks down and she goes we need a plane ticket to jordan now and they're all like go yeah you know? <laughs> and they all dive in and they're all like typing, you know, da da, da, da. And, and so I'm just like g- grabbing onto this computer, you know, I mean, uh, maybe I, you know, how you move your, you know, maybe I'll, this will work better, you know. She, oh, there's a flight coming in from Chicago that may, there's some weather patterns, you know, and I'm, oh, joke. you know, keep praying. <laughs> so after a couple of intense minutes, the lady at the far terminal, I remember what it was, it was British Air, she goes, I got one, run, <laughs> And you know what? I've never quit running. That little decision is how I married my sweet wife, Jamie. (coughs) Sorry. And then we had our family and we raised our... our (coughs) Sorry. (laughs) Raised our family over there for for 11 years. Greatest experience. Uh, And... uh, And maybe the biggest thing is that um, it taught me uh, to live a life that embraces risk rather than settles for security. And so my story is just that, my life is just that risk is greater than security. And I was hearing the music again. <clears throat> um, so what I want to do is, if, if I can pull it together myself here, um, <laughs> is, is transition to the scriptures, which is uh, Matthew uh, 14. <clears throat> and I'll just read it. Um, look for the risk and security in this text. <clears throat> Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and, and go on ahead of him to the other side. And, and while he dismissed the crowd, while he dismissed the crowd, after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him, Walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, "Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid." Lord, if it's you, Peter said, "Tell me to come, come to you on the water." Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, uh, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat, worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So let's try to wrap our head around what's going on in this text right here. The text says, immediately Jesus made the disciples, made the disciples, get that? He made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So the first thing that's going on here is Jesus is establishing himself as their true security. Because even though the disciples have been through all of what they've been through and seen all that they've seen and been changed themselves, still functionally, their security was in that boat. That's really where they had their trust even now. And so Jesus makes them get into that boat because there's something that they need to get. They need to learn this. It needs to be in them. This, it needs to be in their bones that he is their true security and that, and that their boat isn't. Now, each one of you has a boat. It might be your job. It might be your career. It might be your good health. It might be your retirement account. But you've got a boat. And, 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 and we, what we tend to do is we tend to put our, our, our trust in that boat. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's, he's making a contrast between himself as the, as the true security and that boat, which is false security. It's always false security. Your job is false security. You have a job because he's on the throne. You have, you have some, maybe some money saved for retirement because he's on the throne. Your job security is because he's on the throne. Not because of the great job you're doing. The true security is him and him alone. And what the disciples have to shift and do is they've got to, they've got to shift. I mean, now it's, it's, it's time. And now that's the same with you. It's, it's time to make that shift. He is our true security. <clears throat> the thing is that's, that's so kind of weird to me is we keep our default is always going back and putting our trust in our false security, all that stuff, whatever, whatever your boat is. And, uh, um, and I think the reason is is because is our boat is kind of our one area of competence. And because it's our area of competence, it's, the, it's kind of the one thing we know how to do, right? And, and we're comfortable there. Take the, the, the disciples. The boat is the one thing that they really know what to do. You know what? They have been risking, risking, risking for Jesus. And they're always off balance. And they're always kind of confused. Just take last night. Just before they got in that boat, you know, they, they, they come to Jesus and they go, hey, uh, the people are grumpy, you're done teaching. Why don't you dismiss them to go home and get their supper, you know? And he goes, uh, you do it, you feed them. And they go, you know, Jesus is so frustrating. <laughs> he goes, you do it. And they go, well, you know what? We have uh, five loaves and, and two fishes. Um, there's 5,000 men not counting women and children, maybe a crowd of 15,000. You know what we need is some good event planning in this operation, you know? Maybe we can bring that, you know? My bow, we can bring that. And, uh, and Jesus says, bring me the food. And you know the story, he multiplies the food, he feeds the, the, the crowd. And the disciples, poor humiliated disciples, you know, they have to pick up the baskets, they collect 12 basketfuls of, of, uh, of, of food. You know what? You just never know what Jesus is gonna do. And you know what? When we follow him, we never know where he's going to lead us. We, we never know where this thing's going to end up, right? You could be anywhere in the world. You don't know. But it's always uncomfortable. And what we need to do is just, just, you know, get our head around that. That's what it feels like to follow Jesus. It makes us vulnerable. And, and, uh, um, it never, at least my experience, it never changes because I, I'm forced to learn to trust him. And that's the point. That's what's going on right now in the text for the disciples. They're learning to trust him. They're learning that their boat is false security. Um, and so the, the, um, as, as they, as they venture out in that boat, they're getting more and more, um, Uh, off balance again they're in their sweet spot but they're getting more and more off balance and it's it's kind of more awkward you know why because later that night he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because uh the wind was against them so here they are and the one thing that they know how to do and and uh they're just good and stuck I mean, what they—they're—they're they're like failing. Their 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 false security is failing them. So say they left at, at eight, that might be even a little late. 8 p.m. they left shore, right? And they're all they're all confident. Yeah, we're, you know, fine. I'm I'm kind of glad Jesus isn't in the boat. You know, we we got control over this scenario. And of course, as as they go in to to the middle of the lake, it's only a two-hour trip. Uh, they can't even do that. Their false security is. Is, 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 is failing them So in the middle of the lake and it's four hours in Jesus doesn't come for another four hours It was about 4am when Jesus walked on the water out to them And you know what They just went through a process Of learning about their false security It's, it's, not, it's not working for them Um it says that the boat is buffeted. Their false security is, is literally tormented. That's what the word means in the original language. It's being tormented. And um, and I just think that it's such a picture, you know, of, of human struggle in the vehicle of false security. Because when that wind whips down out of the mountains on the western side of that lake, and it comes down, and, and it comes against that warm water, I mean, it's, that wind's fierce, and it's fast and and so they've long since furled that sail, folded it up and put it in the hull. And they're trying to roll out of this mess. Row, like row. And, and, and just think of it, visualize that. Isn't that a great picture of, of us? You know, we're going nowhere, but we are just straining with every heave of the oar, going nowhere. And it's into that context that Jesus come. Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. True security is approaching them. False security is failing them. And they immediately think, oh, it's a ghost. You know why they thought it was a ghost? Because every experienced fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, on the Lake of Center knows the stories that drowned fishermen um, still live on the waters. And they're ghosts. And they speak they speak out, they call out, and Jesus is walking over those voices. That's what he does in our lives. When the king approaches, those voices are silenced because they have no authority. That's true for you. When you approach true security, those voices are silenced because he's the king of all creation. And, and, and so... Um, uh, Peter is the true hero in this story. You know why? Because he's done with his boat. He's done with it. That boat probably belonged to him because it was his family business. It was a good business. He's done with the boat. The others, I don't know because we don't hear about. But he's done with that boat, and then um, uh, he, he'll do anything to have the true security. He'll risk anything, including his own life. So he says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and, and came to Jesus. Peter is called away from his false security, and he literally walks away from it. He walks into risk, he walks through risk, walking on the water into his true security, which is the arms of Jesus. Just like Abram uh, 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 was called away from his, his riches and his security in Haran, where he lived, and, and walked to a destination unknown into the promised land, through the promised to his true security. Just like Moses was called away from his riches and security in Egypt, walked, walked uh, through risk. They didn't know how that was going to go, leading the children of Israel. And then he walks into the promised land, his true security. Just like Jesus left security of heaven to come down, walking through all the risks to save you. But when he saw the wind, that's Peter, he was afraid and beginning to sing, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You you have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Even when our fears eclipse our faith, Jesus is there. He, remember, he's living in you if you know him. If you don't know him, you can ask him into your heart right now. Do it. Because you need the true security. And the true security reaches out and catches us when, 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 when our fears are getting the best of us and, and takes us to um, a secure place. Um. We are in the grip Of our true security So um, How do we do this? Um, Jesus talked more than anything else About the kingdom of God And that's what all the parables were about That's what he talked about And Throughout the Gospels, he talks about having to enter the kingdom of God. You have to kind of step into it. Just like Peter had to step out of the boat and into God. The kingdom just like I had to step towards the airline counter to step into the kingdom Jesus says you have to enter the kingdom and it's all about how you enter There's a lot of different ways, but but this is what I want to put our our finger on right now He says that you have to enter like a little child And how does it how does a child enter his daddy's arms? You know the child's on the couch. What does the child do? Just a complete dive. I mean, the, the the feet leave the couch. Right? They're just like reckless abandon. It never occurs to the child that the daddy's not going to catch him. I mean, how, how that, that's that's absurd. It's never happening, and never will. That's how we enter the kingdom. We in reckless abandon. We don't overthink it. We don't. You know, we we just we just go. We enter the kingdom. We step out of the boat. And uh, and that's what I want to leave you with. As as we as we now transition into our time of reflection, um, I want you to locate where you are, and and I want you to ask the question: Am I hearing the music? Am I dancing? Or or did that happen a long time ago, and I've been marching for years to no music.